All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I've been out of the pulpit for the last few weeks, um, working on a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. And you know that when a pastor has been out of the pulpit for a while, it's going to preach real long. So gear up. We're going. Last service was one hour and 57 minutes. Are you guys ready? It's called sarcasm. I'm totally joking. Totally joking. 100%. Um, two weeks ago, Alex Culpepper, our pastoral intern and the director of our Village of Victory worship services, which are worship services in a site um, at the Victory Center, which is about one mile down the road, a retirement community. Two weeks ago, Alex gave a masterful sermon on mutual submission. If you don't know what that is or if that's a newer subject to you, um, go to our sermon podcast and download it. It was one of the most well-done, interesting, and helpful sermons I have heard. And uh, I've actually had other people contact me, pastors and staff from outside of this church, saying, we listened to that sermon, and uh, that was incredible. And uh, Alex's sermon was, Submit to One to Another um, Out of Reverence for Jesus Christ. And I want to just say right on the front end, I gave him a softball. Because today, my sermon is also on submission, but here's the text. Wives, submit to your husbands as, etc. You get the point, right? So, yay me! So, I, I just want to look at Alex, and I just want to say firsthand, you got it easy, bro. And uh, so, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you. Open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in verse 22. That's where we are going to, where we're going to start. And uh, for some of you, like, this is your first time to Village Church, and uh, I love when we deal with culturally sensitive subjects and new attendees or new visitors kind of get to hear how we think about these things. And uh, I really want to invite you to listen, engage us. If you've got questions, bring them on. And uh, you may be wondering why are verses like this in the Bible, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I want you to understand um, one thing very simply here is that Paul has to talk to husbands and wives about how to be a husband and how to be a wife because the Ephesian church had really messed up marriages. You want to know how I know that? I've never been in a church where the marriages are not messed up. Can I get an amen? Right? Right? You go into a church and you find married people, you're going to find a ton of difficult, thick, gut-wrenching issues. Welcome to marriage. It's well worth it. But whenever you find a church where you find are people who need to be trained, encouraged, and taught about what it means to be a godly wife and a godly husband. Now, Alex's passage was about submission. In fact, um, over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to submit um, as a wife? What does it mean to submit mutually and be a husband? What does it mean to be a child, um, to work for really, really difficult bosses? We're going to have a number of really practical sermons. And here's what the Apostle Paul wants you, um, the reader or the Ephesian church, to understand. Um, so what if you know all your theology, but you don't know how to live it out? And so he has spent so much time in the book of Ephesians talking about, here's how you, follower of Jesus, need to think. Now he's going to talk about, here's what it means. And he's going to get really personal. He's going to invade your home. He's going to invade your marriage. He's going to invade your parenting. He's going to invade your work. And he's going to say, look, if you're going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, we need to talk about some things really directly. And so we're going to get into this um, passage. And, and here's, what I need, here's what I need you to understand. Whenever we talk about issues that might be culturally sensitive, um, here's what I know. I know that I have a bunch of people Many of you have never, ever thought through this issue in your entire life. 
Many of you have been indoctrinated maybe by a church, maybe by culture, maybe by your family. Some of it's good, maybe some of it's bad. Um, But everybody comes into this room with a very different set of expectations and a very different understanding of what marriage is supposed to be, what gender is supposed to be like, and what God ordained for gender and roles in marriage. Are wives supposed to submit to their husbands? Are husbands supposed to lead, provide, and protect? And if so, why? And here's what I want to just put on on the table with you. Culture is a really good thing. God creates beautiful healthy cultures. But one of the things you have to recognize is everyone in this room, for the most part, you have grown up and you have been powerfully influenced by Judeo-Western American culture, for better or for worse. And this culture is constantly communicating to you and developing inside of you subconscious ways of believing and thinking that may or may not be accurate. And so as a follower of Jesus, whenever I approach scripture, particularly sensitive, culturally sensitive topics, here's what I have to do, and I want to invite you into the same process. I have to submit my initial beliefs and understanding of what is true, good, right, best, helpful, and healthy to the authority of the clear teaching of God's word. And here's what I typically find as a Western young American. I find that what I naturally have believed, the word of God disagrees with. And I am regularly, I'm regularly reading the Bible and having to change my mind and my heart because scripture is poking at my culture in powerful ways. Now, not all aspects of our culture are bad, but here's what I want you to recognize right now. Jesus is not in control of the pop culture machine in America. Who is? Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is in control and is leading the dominant cultural thrust in Western American culture. And what you have grown up in, you have to understand this, you have grown up in a culture that is seeking to dismantle the Judeo-Western values of gender, sexuality, marriage, and roles. Why? Because these things are very close to the heart of God. And Satan, who is in control of the pop culture machine, is trying to lessen these so that he can destroy the image of God in each of us. You and I need to believe and remember Often, much of the baggage that we bring to Scripture, we have to understand it is given to us by the culture we have subconsciously taken in, and then we push out, and we transfer it onto the text often. Here's my challenge for you. I want to try to help you understand wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord in a way that is true and biblical to the best of my ability. What I want to ask you to do is whatever culture and baggage and background you typically bring to the table— Pitch it into the trash and let the word of God form how you think, feel, and behave. If you're not a Christian, I want to just take a moment and say, um, I have no expectation that you would submit your mind and your heart and your decisions to the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. At the very least, here's my request of you. If you're not a Christian, my request is that you would think critically Uh, that you would not just buy into your culture hook, line, and sinker, but that you would understand that you believe what you believe 
because you are a part of this culture. And if you grew up in Saudi Arabia, you would not believe what you believe on gender roles and sexuality and marriage. I want all of us just to start with a flat line. We all bring culture to the table, and to some degree, we have to submit our culture to the authority of God's word. Some of you, um, you have grown up in matriarchal cultures where the, where, when the wife speaks, when the mom speaks, like everybody bends the knee, right? Mom is in control, right? Some of you grew up in a patriarchal culture but live in a matriarchal home, right? Don't say amen to that one. That's not good. Some of you have grown up in a patriarchal culture um, or a hyper-patriarchal home, meaning the dad is the leader and he is responsible for making many of the major decisions. Um, Some of you have grown up in a feminist culture, which tries to obliterate all distinctions whatsoever. And so I know, I recognize, I'm looking at a bunch of people, and you all come from very, very different backgrounds. So I get to upset two-thirds of you and hopefully encourage all of you. But you have to recognize this. The dominant culture, I don't care what country you've come from, what century you've lived, what generation you're from, or the color of your skin, here's what you need to understand. Every culture on the planet, Satan is in control of the pop culture thrust of that culture. You have to admit that. I don't care if you're from Africa or from England or if you're from South America or South Africa. It does not matter. Satan controls the pop culture machine in every culture. And that is part of the domain and jurisdiction that he has. And then the church rises up as a bright, shining, healthy, life-giving, joy-filled light that does things differently the way God intended, or at least that's the goal. So in your notes, you can find those in the handout you were given, or if you have downloaded the church app, you can take digital notes on there. Number one, I want to start off with this. The church is not a doormat, and neither are you ladies, especially you ladies who are married. The church is not a doormat, and neither are you. He says, wives, Submit to your, what's that next word? Own husbands as to the Lord. In this culture, in the Ephesian culture, wives were treated like a doormat. In the Ephesian culture, wives were treated like a doormat. And church, dudes, when you listen to me, not so with you. Not so with you. Now, primarily, I'm going to talk to the ladies. But ladies, just so you know I'm fair, next week we have a lot to say to the dudes. And I have a lot of strong words for the dudes, and I have a lot of encouragement for you. How's that, okay? But let me just take a word and talk to our dudes. How, does, how should I view my bride, my wife? Here's a good starting place. How does Jesus view his bride? Who is his bride? The church. She is infinitely valuable. He dies for her, nourishes her, cherishes her, encourages her, has Jesus, follower of Jesus, has he ever berated you, abused you, neglected you, or abandoned you? And the answer is no. Husbands, your view of your wife, no matter where it's at today, has to go up. Because she is not a doormat. She is infinitely valuable, created in the image of God, and you and I will be accountable for how well we do or do not love her, myself included. Next week's sermon, I'm going to have a lot of illustrations mostly for my failures. This week's sermon, I'm not going to give a lot of illustrations because there's no way to talk about submission in a way that, as a dude, is going to be easy. In this culture, wives, I want you to get this, resented their husbands. They did not respect their husbands, by and large. Wives resented their husbands. And can you understand why? If you were treated as a second-class citizen, as a doormat, 
to be used for whatever your husband wanted or did not want at any particular time, would that not grow resentment and bitterness in your soul? Yes. My worst nightmare for my daughter is one that she would be married to somebody who doesn't love Jesus and they would treat her like a doormat. That would be my worst nightmare for my girl. I want her husband, who is the Christ figure in this relationship, to sacrificially love her and die for her and give his preferences, set them aside for her benefit and joy and holiness and righteousness. How should I view and treat my husband? I'm going to try to answer that this morning. That's the subject of the message. Now, what I want to do is I want to put all the verses on the screen so you can get like a visual. Okay, ladies, here's the part that's devoted to you, dudes. That's the part that's devoted to you. Which one has more words? The dudes, right? <laughs> Specifically, 54 to 102. Okay, so we're all clear on how many words there are here. Why would this be? Why is he like, oh yeah, well, about wives, by the way, here's what you're supposed to do, dudes. Let's have a three-hour dissertation on leadership and what you're supposed to actually be doing here. Well, I'm going to tell you why I think it is. Because for most of you in this room, what you fail to realize is that the quality of your marriage starts with the husband's ability to sacrificially love a woman and nourish and cherish her. And it ends there as well. The vast majority of marriages, time needs to be spent with the dudes because we're doofuses and imbeciles. And I don't know a single guy who gets married and is like, I'm the best husband that's ever existed, right? It takes a long time for us to get there. But, but Paul spends an inordinate amount of time focusing on the guys because we have a ton of issues. And learning to nourish, love, cherish, and care for the soul of a woman does not just happen because you read a book or you saw it from your parents. It happens by learning the hard way over time as you live with your bride for a period of time. Right? And much of you ladies, you're like, amen. Now, five questions that this text is going to demand us to answer. Number one, how have these verses been used to hurt Women. I will not spend a ton of time on this because culturally we get it to a degree, and if you've lived it, you understand it profoundly. But it is an insecure, overcompensating, weak willed man who has to get his way by using manipulation, force, or coercion. It is fundamentally a pathetic view of leadership. And I want you to hear me much of the Christian culture throughout history has failed in this. But that has not always been the case, and there have been bright, shining lights of sacrificial husbands. And ladies, I just want you to get this. Some of you, you're here, and you have been on the receiving end of a bad husband. And that is not God's desire, and my hope is that maybe even if you're in that circumstance, we can give you some next steps. But how have these verses been used to hurt women? Number two, how does God intend these verses to free women? Every command in scripture is given because if you will obey it, it will increase your health, joy, happiness, functionality, and ability to glorify God. Everything. God does not give you commands because he's bored, he's culturally out of date, or he's like sadistic in some way, shape, or form. Every mandate God gives will free you to be who God has created you to be. And so we want to make sure that in the most fundamental relationship in your life outside of your relationship with Jesus, that you understand clearly and practically what it means to be a wife. Number three, will I reject the lie that my culture with its ever-evolving view on roles is the pinnacle culture 
American elitism leads us often to believe that we are smarter than all other cultures in time, space, and history. And I just want to tell you that cultures shift left and right and up and down, and God's word never changes. And the one who made biologically, physically, hormonally, emotionally, whatever, male and female, and designed and orchestrated the institution of marriage is entering into human history and revealing how this thing's supposed to function. And so I want to pay real close attention because when you don't play by his rules, most of your marriages are an example of what happens. Don't say amen to that or kick your husband or wife underneath the pew. Number three, four. Have I been more influenced by my culture than God's word on the issues of gender and roles? I don't say this to make you feel guilty. What I just want you to do is have the ability to look in the mirror of God's word and say, you know what, probably where I stand today is not in line with what scripture says And you just need to own, I have been formed subconsciously primarily by culture over God's word. And if that's the case, I'm not here to just squash you. I'm here to say, own it. And if you're going to get past that, then you got to actually confess that. Number five, does God's word have immediate authority over my behavior and my identity? Drop the mic. Sometimes God's word says something and we say, oh, I'll deal with that later. And yet, as parents, we go to our kids and we say, pick that up. And they say, oh, I'll get to it later. We say, "Uh, no, you won't. You'll do it now. Does God's word have immediate authority, not just over what you do, but how you view yourself? And my desire here is, of course, to help you understand God's word but also to understand how valuable and beautiful and amazing God has made you to be. Let's get to the text. First starts off, says, wives. So does this apply to single women? It's a trick. It's a trick. What do you think? Anybody? Yes and no. How's that? Okay, so <laughs> let, me, let me just, let me give you like a little, I'm teasing you here a little bit, okay? But all right, it's written directly to wives, okay? And wives are, are called to submit to their own husbands. Now, if you're, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, put your hands up. Anybody? No? All right. If you're single, are you required to submit to another woman's husband? Please say no. Please say no. No, 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 no. Whatever submission means, we're going to get there. Whatever it means, the answer is a big fat no. That's not true in any way, shape, or form. Uh, now, are you responsible to submit to positions of authority? The answer is yes. So are you responsible to submit to a police officer when he puts his lights on? Anybody? Yes. How about your dad? Right context, given your age, but are you responsible to submit and respect to your father? The answer is Yes. All right, here's one. The president. Anyone? Anyone? Yes, good answer. Thank you. Gosh. Talking about the office. All right. (laughs) Susie Q's husband. Say no. No, unless you're Susie Q, okay, which I don't know any Susie Q's. Wives. That's what we're talking about. But here's where this does apply to everyone else. Um, Do you have a friend who's married? Do you have a child who's married? Do you have a grandma or grandpa who is married? Um, Do you have anybody you care about that is in the role of wife? Do you want to be equipped and able to encourage, train, and help wives function according to God's word? The answer is, duh, yeah. 
So some of you, you're going to be like, this isn't for me, I'm not going to pay attention. Stop it. Grow up and listen, because you need to be fully equipped in what God's word says to everybody, because you may be in a position where one day you have to help and encourage somebody in this area. And so we need to be equipped and ready, ready to do this. Now, the word submit, let's get, let's, get, let's get difficult here. From Alex's really masterful sermon two weeks ago, did I say download and listen to that? You should, because it was great. He gave us two categories. Category number one is coerced submission. And this means basically mandatory obedience motivated by fear of another who uses power to demand or manipulate. Is this biblical? Please say no. No, this is pathetic, overcompensating, insecure leadership that hurts people in the process and is never once how Jesus Christ leads his beautiful bride, the church, ever. But the biblical version is much more beautiful, nuanced, difficult. Let's be straight. Biblical submission is this. Very simply, he said, it's a bending of the knee. It's a handing over of control. Now, at this point, some of you are like, no way, not a chance. I'm already upset. I'm tuning out. My challenge for you is don't tune out. And I would like to tell you something. You love submission. You love it. And in fact, when you don't see it, you get angry. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove that every person in this room loves submission and agrees with the principle. We applaud submission at work, with our children, to the government, in the military, in sports, on the battlefield, in schools, in the police. I could go on and on and on. In fact, not only do we expect submission in every single part of our lives, but we also expect point leadership in every point and place in our lives. Schools have a principal. The fire and police department have a chief. The USA, the United States has a president. Sports teams have a, this is a trick, coach, captain. Yes, too. There's multiple layers of submission or authority, typically on sports teams. Businesses have a CEO. Even churches have an elder board, typically with a senior lead pastor, right? But I want you to catch this. Even the Godhead, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exists in a community of point leadership and submission. So we have God the Father. And who submits to God the Father? God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And that everything that God the Father tells God the Son to do is for his good and for the good of the mission that they have agreed on. And God is in leadership over Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So if you have an issue with submission, even Jesus did not have an issue with submission. So who do you think you are? I just want to declare this. Your issue is not with submission. It is the stupid, bully, ungodly, unbiblical men and leaders in your life. That is what you're resisting. And so what we have to do is just kind of take some of that baggage and put it aside for a moment and say, what is it supposed to be? What is it supposed to be? How do I think biblically about these things? And here's what you, you need to get big picture here. Everything God touches, and I mean everything, everything God touches, organizes, and institutes has point leadership and submission built into its very DNA. The angelic realm, point leadership, submission. Even to the point where the demonic realm still understands this fundamental principle. One of the most well-orchestrated machines that you will never see is the point leadership of Satan and many chiefs and princes all over the world with designated territories. 
And then you go to the angelic realm. Everything God touches, organizes, and institutes has point leadership. The nation of Israel, did they have point leadership? Yes. The church, did they have point leadership? Yes. His name's Jesus. Local churches? Yes. We, everywhere, everything God touches. Now, we get to the family. Did God institute the family with point leadership organized in a community of submission? Yes. Why? Let me just get to the point. Because everything God touches reflects God. Everything God creates, he's trying to give you pictures and micro pictures into his nature, into his character. And here's what I just want you to get. The issue for everyone in this room, it's not submission, it's terrible leaders. You guys get that? And so let's just put all of this away from it and say, okay, what if my issue is bad leadership, but what, what does God really want for this? Now there's a few, um, let's just define this. Let's go to the definition. Biblical submission, each wife should seek to highly value, measurably respect, and tangibly support her own husband and his God-ordained responsibility to lead through sacrificial love. Lots of words, but let me, let me break this down. Um, ladies, rhetorical question. That means don't answer. Do you believe God wants you to highly value your husband and his role as your husband? I think so. Ladies, do you believe that it's important to God that you measurably respect your husband and his role as your husband? Yep. Do you believe that it's God's will for you to tangibly support your husband in the roles that God puts him in? Yep. You then believe now, to some degree or another, in submission and marriage. And so here's what I want you to understand, that God has created and organized the institution of marriage to function in a perfect, beautiful, harmonious, life-giving way but it's when the leader stops being godly that the whole thing starts to crumble and go awry. Now, there, I want to get smart with you for a minute. I don't mean like, like sassy smart. I just mean I want to get intelligent. So if you're unintelligent, I want you to check out for a moment. For all of you smart people, I'd like to have a very, we'll call it theological intelligent conversation. I'd like to introduce you to two words. One of the words is called egalitarian, and the other word is called complementarian. So egalitarian comes from a Latin word, which means equal. Complementarian comes from an English word, which means complementary, okay? Got it? Good. So um, in the world of disagreement on what this looks like in the church, these two terms have come up. And you will find some churches that are egalitarian and some churches that are complementarian. I'm going to put all my cards on the table. We're complementarian through and through. Um, but you think about this like a spectrum, okay? And all the way on the, on the egalitarian side of the spectrum, on the left side of the spectrum, if you will, um, we have all the way as far as you could go. There's no difference in gender. There's no difference in roles. Men can become women. Women become men. Uh, biology and gender and sex are arbitrary and transferable and transitionable, right? All the way over there. And you get to the more conservative sides of egalitarianism, and you basically get this high, high, high view that there are no roles in marriage. A husband can lead, or a wife can lead, or no one can lead. Um, and they have a high emphasis on the equal value of each person. Okay? Now, you might think that the complementarians don't believe that men and women are equal. Is that true? Say no, please. Okay. On the complementarian side, we go all the way over to the far, far, far right. You can think about this like politics. Generally, the more politically left you are, the more egalitarian you are. And generally, the more politically right you are, the more complementarian you are. You go all the way over to the right side of complementarianism over there. That's your left, my right. And here's what you find. Um, you find husbands who don't let their wives speak. You find husbands who make sure their wives are not allowed to talk in church unless they get permission from their husbands husbands, and they wear doilies on their head and culottes all the way down to whatever. And you got all those people all the way down there on that side of things, right? And then the closer you get to center, here's what you have. 
You have complementarians who believe that men and women are equal in value and dignity and made in the image of God, are 100% valuable, but God has made them to have complementary roles in the context of marriage, okay? Um, And so what you find here is if you are, like I would be a a center-right complementarian. I'm not a culotte and doily kind of guy, right? Um, I'm also not a liberal who says gender doesn't matter and biology doesn't matter and sex doesn't matter. Um, I'm not one of those guys. And I appreciate that the egalitarians who are Christians say, no, we're equal in value, okay? But I also want to submit to the clear teaching of God's word. As fun and culturally relevant as this sounds, once you open up scripture, it almost demands you to go center right. It almost pulls you off this complementarian cliff and says, no, when God created man and God created woman, he made them body, soul, and spirit fundamentally different on purpose, not on accident, to fulfill specific roles. And each of those roles are equally important, equally valuable, and each one of them are fully 100% made in the image of God. So some of you, if you grew up in this culture and you have never, ever opened scripture, 99% of you are going to be somewhere on the egalitarian side of things because that is what script or culture like in basically inoculate or puts into your subconscious culture in your heart, okay? And so if you're going to move over this way, you have to have an external source show you it's wrong, show you a better way, and that's what the Word of God does. So uh, I'll say it this way. Wherever God establishes order, we're called to bend the knee to that order always. And we are called to figure out how to do it in a way where our heart wants to do it. Because if God creates order and tells us to live in that order, it will always be for our good and for our joy. All right, so why all this talk about submission, Michael? I'm going to just tell you one, one reason. Because of what is at stake. What is at stake is the image of God in you. This is not an arbitrary thing where you can just say, ah, it's no big deal. I don't care if you're egalitarian or complementarian. If God has created you to function in the most important and foundational institution on the planet, and he has told you to do it in a certain way, we have to bend the knee to the word of God, and we have to figure out a way to do it. We have to do it. I want to take you back to the issue. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And here's what Genesis 1 says. Uh, Then God said, let us, us meaning plural because it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God in the community of the Godhead, saying, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. What's it say now? Male and female, he created them. Men and women, we are created to reflect the image of God. And there is one way that we all reflect the image of God. Whether you are male or female, you are created to reflect the character of Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus wants to have his character formed in every man or woman in the church, period. That's his agenda. He is going to form holiness, integrity on the inside of you. But When it comes to masculinity and femininity, male and female, men and women have the unique opportunity in marriage to exhibit different aspects of God's nature and character or his image. And for men, we are physically and emotionally uniquely created to reflect Jesus' sacrificial love. Now, do women reflect Jesus' sacrificial love? Please say yes. I'm not saying women don't do that. What I'm saying 
is that God uniquely hardwired physically, spiritually, emotionally into the DNA of a man that fundamentally we come alive in sacrificial love in a way that women do not. This is why the hero complex is in, is in men. This is why men love being the hero. This is why my little boy is always like loving Spider-Man and Superman. He wants to be the hero and he wants to battle. He wants to protect. He wants to defend. He's always the good guy. And I'm not saying that women and little girls don't do that. I'm just saying by and large, the propensity in boys and as we grow up to be men is fundamentally different. And women are uniquely, profoundly in your soul and your spirit and your body created to reflect the Holy Spirit's nurturing and developing of people of great value. And this is why men don't probably get as pumped up about being a mother as most women do. There's something intuitively inside of you that God has wired and put in there. Now, do men nurture and develop? Please say yes. All of you wanted to pigeonhole me and say, you said men can never and women can never. Stop that. It's ridiculous. What I am saying, though, is that God has uniquely, uniquely made men and women different to reveal uniquely different aspects of the Godhead. So what God is trying to do is display his glory and his nature and his character in every single marriage in this room. And for you to know what God wants and to bucket is to diminish the glory of God in your marriage. And you want to get, you want to get personal with God? Mess with his glory. Here's how you do it. You mess with marriage, you mess with gender, and you mess with sexuality. All of which are the overflow of the glory of God made shown in man. Mess with those, and you will start to poke the bear. And this is why God's so passionate about it. He wants you to reveal the goodness of his nature and his character. Marriage is not an accident. It's a finely tuned relationship developed and organized by God to reveal God. To mess with marriage is to mess with God. That's why, if you're ever wondering, aren't all these Christians all upset about marriage and redefinition? Because to mess with marriage is to mess with God. Marriage and the family are the most fundamental institutions on which every healthy civilization and empire and country has ever been built. And to diminish those and to dismantle those will be the end of any functional civilization because functional families create functional people and dysfunctional families create dysfunctional people. Many of you are here. (laughs) He goes on and says that wives, you are to submit to your own husbands. Now, we clarified this, but I'd like to demolish two lies once and for all. You ready? Number one, female submission applies outside of that woman's marriage. Okay? Are you required to submit to any other man other than your husband? The answer is no, they said with hesitance. <laughs> no. And then here's the second one. Well, women are not allowed to lead ever, anywhere ever. In fact, a woman cannot be the CEO of a business or anything of the sorts. Okay, first of all, when God talks about female leadership, male leadership, submission, headship, etc., he's applying it in only two areas of life, the church and the family. We're not talking about the church now. It's a different discussion for another day. But there are no restrictions on A, women leading anywhere in this world outside of family and the church, and then B, okay, um, women lead in the church all over the place. So I'll just use Village Church as an example. We are a uh, center-right complementarian church, which means we believe that God has ordained specific roles for women and whatnot in the context of marriage and the church. But women are leading ministries. They're ministry directors. That's a man or woman who leads any major ministry of the church. Bethany Thomas is on our core leadership team, which is the highest level of leadership you can get in this church, short of being an elder or deacon. Um, We are not afraid of women leading and praying up front and leading worship and doing different things. That's not our concern here. But some people take this, and they just hyper-apply it, and they say, well, you must believe that. 
I'm like, okay, well, A, I never said that, so stop that, you who put words in my mouth. And then B, that is not the way, we don't make things apply beyond what the immediate context demands. And so women lead all the time. God has given men gifts of leadership and women gifts of leadership. God has given men gifts of passivity and women gifts of passivity, right? Uh, it goes both ways. But So I want to just obliterate those. And then finally he says, uh, why submit your husbands as to the Lord? I want to just help you understand simply what this means. It means this. For you to figure out how to have a posture of submission to your husband um, is how you can obey Jesus Christ in your marriage. This is to submit to your husband is to obey the Lord. Also, you have to think, okay, How do I highly value, how do I um, esteem and respect Jesus Christ? I want to have that same attitude towards my husband because God has wired him to need that and wired me to do that to bring him the most glory. How do I develop and nurture and care for and bring the best out in my husband? Number two in your notes, God is not culturally outdated or irrelevant. God is a genius. God is not culturally outdated or irrelevant. He's a genius. He says here, for the husband is the what? Head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. I think it was my big fat Greek wedding said, um, yeah, okay, the wife might be the head, but the, or the husband might be the head, but the wife is the next that supports the head, which is kind of a great, great picture, right? Because the head is turning, but this issue of support um, is definitely coming from the wife. Now, some people have tried, and I'll be honest, I've, I've read so much on this. Um, some on the more egalitarian side have tried to make this word head mean something other than leader, and it just doesn't. In fact, 100% of the time in ancient Greek literature and in the scripture where it's referenced in context of relationship, it always, always means the same thing without question, without exception. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, I want you to catch this. As the husband, okay, he is paralleled with Jesus. So guys, we're going to talk next week about you being Jesus to your wife. And if you don't show up, we'll know why. I'm watching you. And his job, right, is to lead. And the wife is correlated to the church. And God has made the church to be a glorious bride who loves and respects and honors her husband, who is Jesus Christ. I want to read you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 to 3, because some of you may think this is just an isolated text. All over the Bible, this is brought up and discussed. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 3. Now, I commend you... Because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So every husband, who is his head? Jesus Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. Now if you stop there, you'd be like, that's so unfair and culturally insensitive. But then he goes on. It says, and the head of Christ is God or God the Father. Here's what's interesting is, is Paul's assumption as he writes this is, ladies, if Jesus can submit... And the Holy Spirit can submit. This is not a position of inferiority. This is a position of opportunity. We need to catch this. Culture tells you, bend the knee for no man in this patriarchal society. And yet God says, you're right, don't bend the knee for all men. But here's what I want you to do. When you find a man and you marry this man, you find a way to bend the knee and support and to respect his calling as a leader. And here's what the God-ordained intention is. That man, what you'll be supporting is somebody who is dying for you daily, God willing. Some people, the egalitarians, would say that these roles in marriage were the result of the fall. 
And what I just want to tell you is that these roles in marriage were there before the fall even happened. I want to just read this text for you from Genesis. I want you to watch this because this is really important. And ladies, you got to know what is in you and your propensity. Here's what he says. He's just sinned. Adam and Eve, he just cursed um, the serpent, Satan. And now this is the woman's curse for sinning. He said to, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. It's Eve's fault, by the way, not your husband's. You did this to me. No, Eve did this to you. Your, catch this, desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay. Okay. So does this mean like, oh, I just want you so bad. My desire is for you. And he's like, no. It's actually not what this means. In fact, in the very next chapter, um, Genesis interprets itself for us as if God knew, like, generations down the line that this was going to be a question. Listen to what it says in Genesis 4-7. Um, Cain is in a lot of trouble. His heart is in a very terrible place, and God confronts Cain. Here's what he says. Sin, Cain, is crouching at the door. In this context, sin is pictured as a lion getting ready to pounce on its prey. It says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Let's go back to Genesis 3 here. It says, your desire, here's what this means. There will be an impulse and propensity into you to devour your husband. And this will be because of sin, not God's ordained intention for you. But because he is stronger and he has power, he will oppressively rule over you and make you submit under his control. That also is not from God. That the fall affects the woman's ability to come alongside and nurture and develop her husband's leadership and at the same time perverts the husband's ability to love sacrificially. So the whole marriage institution is completely messed up from the very beginning of the fall onward. Do you see that? And so here's what we have to understand is that, guys, we have a strong cultural sin-laden propensity to rule in a way that is not consistent with how Jesus rules and loves his bride, the church. But ladies, at the same time, you have to understand there is a propensity in you to devour and that you will do this in culturally appropriate ways so you may not yell and scream, but you know how to make his life miserable and get what you want, right? And so that there are ways that we figure out how to devour and to rule that are not necessarily overtly physical, but we have it. And everybody in this room, male or female, the propensity is in you to either rule negatively or we'll say devour inappropriately. And that's where this comes from. And that's why all the marriages in scripture are so, so messed up. Let's go to point number three. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Drain the water. Doesn't that make so much more sense? No, just throw out the Bible. Just don't throw out everything because it doesn't make sense. Drain the water. Here's what he says. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in what? Everything to their husbands. All right, can I just pick, a, just pick for a minute? Some people read this and say, see, the Bible's so patriarchal. He says everything. So if my husband tells me to go sin, then I have to go sin. Okay. If Paul is like on stage and like Susie Q says, I have a question. My, my husband has asked me to sin. Should I submit to him in everything? What's Paul going to say? No. no. Why? Because he's smart. And so what you need to do, so you got to understand a propensity in you. The more liberal you may be in this and the more non-Christian of a background you may come, there's going to be something in you that wants to just throw this out. And so you're going to find little statements like this. 
and you're going to say, see, this is just totally abusive and patriarchal. When you and I both know, if you thought about it for two seconds, that's not what Paul means. What Paul means is this. He says, as far as it depends on you, if you have the opportunity to bend the knee to a husband who has that strong of a desire that a decision needs to be made and you're not on the same page, bend the knee. Bend the knee. And I'm going I'm to help you understand a little bit why. But So in everything, to their husbands, Paul's intention is that the husband would be doing things that sacrificially love, build up, nourish, cherish, and encourage the bride. I guess maybe a parallel would be um, if you have a boss at work, uh, how many of you want to submit to a boss that's using you? Nobody. But how many of you would love to go to work every single day with a boss who literally says, I'm here to serve you, to make your life easy, to help you accomplish your job? Very different. Now, don't get me wrong, the husband is not your boss. I'm just trying to give an analogy here. So again, don't read into it too far, okay? But wives who are loved really well don't take issue with this. There are a few actually places where people take issue with this. Number one is there's a cultural thing inside of us that causes us to resist it, right? Um, for some of us, we have, we have studied it, and we don't agree with maybe some of the Bible's more clear teachings on this issue. But I think there are, t- there are two really big reasons why most people reject this. Past and referred pain. Past pain meaning this. You have personally lived under the rule, quote-unquote, of an insecure, overcompensating, weak-willed husband who has not loved you well. And that because of that, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Some of you have been very close, too close, to wives who have lived under the, quote-unquote, rule of an authoritarian, insecure, overcompensating husband. And for you to, fee- to, to validate the biblical principle of submission is to validate that. And I want to just take one second and say, those men are losers, and they don't know how to do it right, and that is not what God calls them to. And so in the context here, don't throw everything out. Don't just run away from this principle because some people are ridiculous. God told us this, that the male propensity will be towards ruling. And this is why if you want your husband to stop, he needs to have an encounter with Jesus Christ to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to overcome that natural tendency to devour, you need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. So I listed a bunch of questions, and and, um, we're almost near the end here. Uh, I think I have 13 questions. I'm kidding. Um, Just eight. When would this actually become an issue? Question number one. Um, I tell people all the time, expect in your marriage one to two major conflicts between you and your spouse per year. One to two major life events, and then one to two major conflicts. And if you're awesome, right, kudos for you that your marriage doesn't have that. Most marriages, there's at least one to two big blow-ups per year, um, and they're trying to figure it out where the husband and the wife don't see on the same page. This is actually an issue often. In fact, I would say in all of the premarital and marital counseling my wife and I have done, from my perspective, disagreement and lack of understanding on roles is the biggest issue in a marriage that tears people apart. Yes, sex, yes, bad communication, yes, conflict resolution, but really when you get down to the core of it, it is how they view their role as a husband and a wife. What if my husband is not a Christian? Did you know that the same principle applies? I want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Don't get lost in the subject language. It's an English translation of the same concept. You're, bend the knee to your husbands. When you're at each other, when you disagree, when you're not on the same page, so that even if some do not obey the word, meaning they're not Christians, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure 
conduct. How many of you ladies would change your mind because somebody yelled at you or resisted you? I would be more inclined to change my mind if somebody respected me and honored me. Well, guess what? That's how dudes work too. (laughs) And so what he's saying is, your nagging and poking actually makes the circumstance worse. It doesn't make it better. It's like God is onto something. It's like he's a genius. Here's, here's, I think, one of the hardest ones for me. What if he takes advantage of me? And I think this is, this is not just a hypothetical question. You have to understand that many, many women are living under oppressive men who use their, quote, rule, and then look at their wives and say, submit. And functionality, the women don't have a voice, and they are not of equal value and importance in that home. This is still a common, semi-common thing in Christian homes and in non-Christian homes, and especially when you go to the Middle East, this is an enormous issue. And I would just look at this person and say, if somebody is taking advantage of you, if at all possible, bring in a third party to get some help. And I want to look at the dudes and say, you need to meet Jesus Christ because he did not do this to you. Why would you do it to your bride? What if we disagree on major life decisions? Get, get help. Most people disagree and then one loses and walks away bitter. Do you, do you know that bitterness is unnecessary? A little bit of third-party mediation from a godly counselor or pastor or friend can go so long in helping resolve some of these issues. What if my wife refuses to submit to me? Stop demanding it. Do you, do you really, biblical submission can never be demanded by a husband, ever. The moment you demand it, you are in sin. And so you cannot just look at her and say, submit to me, woman. Like, that is not how it works. And by the way, like, if she says, respect me, man, like, what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'll just change my mind right there. It's not the way humanity works. Again, it's like God is onto something. What about women uniquely gifted in leadership in the home? If you're uniquely gifted in leadership, then set goals, administrate, orchestrate, orchestrate, do all the things you need, fine. Um, But encourage him to sacrificially lead, love, and protect. Nurture and develop. Use your leadership gifts. If you're such a great leader, use your leadership gifts to lead him toward deeper levels of sacrificial love. Uh, How do I know if I'm doing this correctly? Here's the answer that will apply in 98.75% of circumstances. That's like actually statistically accurate. I lied. How do I know if I'm doing this correctly? Does your husband feel and believe you respect him? Does he feel and believe you respect him? Now, some of you are like, you don't know my husband. <laughs> Got it. Many men, meaning all of us, come in with deep insecurities, fear, and baggage. You think your husband is the only one who's insecure. Meet everyone else's. And so, yes, it takes some time. And it takes time for a husband to feel respected. And let's just be straight for a moment. I've yet to meet a guy who gets married, and all of a sudden he's like a great husband, right? He's like, I've mastered this thing. I should teach courses. I've been married for three days. I'm going to create a whole PhD lecture series (laughs) on how to be a great husband. It doesn't happen. Most guys stink at being husbands for about 15 years. (laughs) Then... We're like, wow, I'm like pretty bad. And then we get better. And then 15 years later goes on, and we're like, eh, I'm better. And then your kids resent you because you're like, ah, what I grew up with, and you didn't model biblical masculinity and femininity for me. And you're like, I'm just a dude 
trying to get my life in order, and y'all are watching me and judging me, and I'm still trying to work this stuff out, right? No, none of you, of course. <laughs> you know what would like fast forward this 30-year process? A husband who commits himself to death and a wife who commits herself to respect. Honestly, this is what slows the process down. Wife nags, husband selfish, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They do it, everybody does it in their own way. But what takes 30 years for most families could happen in two or three. You could have a great, loving, peaceful marriage with a good husband who loves and sacrificially loves his wife. If these two things could simply happen and be the commitment of the husband and the wife, you will watch a healthy, strong marriage grow quickly. And yet the reason why is because we don't often do our part. Here's the way Ephesians 5, 31 at the end, he kind of summarizes all this. He says, all right, you want a take-home verse? Here's your take-home verse. Uh, He says this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is called marriage. Good, you're listening. The mystery... It's profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage is not arbitrary. It was intentionally created, orchestrated, designed to reflect Jesus and the church. God is publicly declaring through every individual marriage in this room and anybody listening um, what he's like. And then he goes on. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself. Ladies, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Does your husband feel and believe that he's respected? I want to close with a few final thoughts. Submission in marriage is an opportunity for two things. Number one, to amplify my rebellion or to amplify Jesus' submission. You have two options. Because the rebellious spirit is in every woman and in every man. And when you're in difficulty and conflict and you're toe-to-toe, that's what it's like. Whether or not you have liked what I've shared... Um, I want to just tell you this. Forget about all the theology. Forget about egalitarian and complementarian. I want, to just, I want to just tell you something that I think cuts through all of this and will give you something that will make you think differently on this issue. Men throughout every culture and every generation uh, and every century, men everywhere thrive on respect and react to disrespect through passivity or aggression. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're far left egalitarian, far right complementarian. Every man I have ever known thrives on respect to the point where, I'll speak for me, you'll never be my close friend if you don't respect me. And I'm not just saying that for me. I'm saying this for every man in this room that has ever existed. So you can say, forget that, I'm not going to submit, I'm not going to communicate respect to my husband. That is your loss. Because every man that has ever existed thrives and comes alive when he believes and he feels that he's respected. And so ladies, you have this incredible opportunity to see your husband come to life. Because what you do affects how he sees himself and the world profoundly. Uh, Proverbs is written by mostly men. I'd like to just read this for you. There's about 30 verses on women, on, on, on wives, but I'll just read these just to give you an idea of like what men feel like when they're disrespected. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> it's like raining outside. He's like, I'll be on the roof. 
It's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. A continual dripping, drip, 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 on a rainy day and a quarrelsome woman, wife, are alike. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I mean, multiply, they repeat themselves. It's like multiple times the authors of Proverbs are like, hey, ladies, when we don't feel and believe we respect, you know what we do? We get hobbies. We go someplace else. We get out of the house. We watch a lot of TV, and we avoid you. Because I will go places where I feel respected. And that is in the DNA of a man. They don't even know consciously that we're doing it sometimes. We will get respect. That's the thing. And in the process of that, often we do incredibly stupid things. Or you, wife, you can look at your husband and commit to sacrificially supporting, nurturing, and communicating to him. You are deeply respected. If the president walks in this room, uh, many of you would not respect him. Many of you wouldn't. This is not a political discussion. I'm just making a point. You may not respect the person's decisions. Some of you, you've thought, my husband is not worthy of respect because he's done X, Y, and Z. But God ordained the position. And if President Obama walked through these doors, my expectation would be he would be the most respected person in this room by every one of you in your behavior. Why? Because God has mandated us to respect certain positions. And God loves the position of being a husband. And what we're saying here is you don't respect their sin. You don't encourage and, 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 and nurture their sin. But you respect them because God has put them into an incredibly difficult position that honestly nobody knows how to do for a long, long time well. And so with a lot of grace and a lot of patience, we come home to these husbands who often are insecure and don't have it all together and are struggling spiritually. And we're given this beautiful, unique opportunity to come alongside of them and say, I want to help you. Oh, I, you, I can see who God has made you to be. And it's beautiful. Wives, no one is more influential in your husband's life than you. You have so much power to destroy, but even better, you have so much power to create life and wholeness and health in your husband. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And if you have any questions whatsoever, you can come talk to me. Preferably just give them all to Pastor Jarvis or Pastor Tim. That's fine. Um, you can submit questions, and uh, we'll get to them all in the Q&A podcast um, that way too. And uh, I just want to encourage you, open up God's word and try to figure out how do I submit my heart, my mind, and my behavior to what his word says. Let's pray. Father, first of all, Thank you for Jesus. We have all massively fallen short of the glory of God. And um, thank you that you have loved us and encouraged us and nourished us. Sometimes you've had to have hard words with us, but you have been so kind to us, your church. And so, God, I pray for every wife in this room that you would empower, that you would give her wisdom and discernment to navigate the many complicated issues of marriage and life. But Lord, at the end of the day, may we be men and women who reflect the God-assigned rules that you've given to us with a heart that is joyful. And God, would you do what only you can do in the hearts of husbands? Would you cause men to repent, to be broken, and to learn to love like Jesus loves the church?
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.